0: Hello everyone, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies. Now before you jump on to listening to this episode, wait, take a breath, smile, get your regular dose of life-changing entropy here on Everyday Talkies. Hello guys, welcome to the new episode of Everyday Talkies and today we are discussing Chapter 2 of guns Germs and Steel, it's called A Natural Experiment of History. Before we jump into this podcast, let us welcome our co-host, Pushkar. Hello. Hello,
1: hello. Oh, how is everything going?
0: Well, if you're asking our audience, I don't think we so will ever receive a reply because nobody really replies back. Every time I've asked them to force our guests go in their Instagram and ask them to come back, they've never done it. So I've lost all hope. <laughs> uh, for people who are joining us for the first time in this series, don't fuss. We will give a bit of brief of what ha- uh, we discussed in the past two episodes. And uh, you don't need to read the book. If you read the book, it will be great because, you know, all of us recommend reading that book. But if you don't, don't worry. We'll be discussing what is basically said in the chapter. And um, if you like learning about this, if you are reading and if you want to join our panel, uh, do ping us and let us know. But yeah. Uh, with all those disclaimers and everything, uh, let us jump right into
1: Guns, Germs and Steel, Chapter 2.
0: Before that, Pushkar, do the honors and tell us in very brief, In you have maximum one to two minutes to describe us what we know from the preface in Chapter 1.
1: Okay, so just to recap, in the last episodes of Guns, Germs and Steel, we were first of all posed with Yali's question, which is the more or less research question for the book, which essentially boils down to why did civilizations Across the earth grew at different rates, and you know, their interaction across history, stemming from 13,000 years to today. And in the first chapter, we kind of set up our whole world in that we got the, our whole civilization from its birth to the starting line, which is uh, 13,000 years. We saw how uh, humanity started out in Africa 7 million years ago and it spread out across from there. How it eventually managed to go from Africa to Eurasia, to uh, Southeast Asia, Australia, North America, South America and how, you know, these societies, how much time they took to uh, colonize each continent. Each continent as in other than Antarctica. So that's where we are now. Uh, We're at 13,000 years, but for chapter two, uh, we're going to look at, I guess, a very small portion of humanity, which provides us with more or less an experiment, but not a scientific experiment done by humans, but more of a natural experiment that occurs by freak accident, you know. A few key
0: points before we jump into this uh, chapter that our author, Jared Diamond, he was researching this in New Guinea, which is close to Australia. And that is where this chapter deals with a freak accident, as uh, Pushkar mentioned, in the islands uh, near Australia, mainly uh, pertaining to Polynesian islands.
1: Basically everything between New Zealand and Hawaii.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, even southern to New Zealand, you have near the Antarctic region. But yeah, all those small, small islands, it covers basically all all of that. And second point, which links here, is that in the preface, he proposed that there can be different reasons why humans developed at different rates or why certain civilizations were more modern than the others, right? He gave explanations of environment. He gave explanations of intelligence. He gave explanations of genetics. And there were other factors which might have influenced, you know, how humans developed. So in this chapter, particularly, we delve into one of those accidents where environment and nature played an important part in, uh, in deciding which society will become more modernized than the other. And uh, again, this is just a very simple experiment. world is huge and it is not just limited to these uh, two islands which we'll be talking about now and the islands in this area. But yeah, after all of that, uh, let's jump into what exactly the book said. So, we already introduced what Polynesia is. So, now there were Polynesian farmers who were the people residing in that area who colonized New Zealand and the surrounding islands around AD. It's not shocking that we're just talking about how human evolved from 7 million years ago to 13,000 years ago And we jump into a recent freak accident which happened in history, which is just a thousand years ago So there, these farmers colonized New Zealand And mainly in the northern New Zealand, farmers initially colonized that place And they were called the Maoris And a tropical climate, uh, people survived there But as humans are intrinsically curious people They grow in population, they tend to expand their horizons And they tend to occupy new lands One group of people shifted from there and moved towards the southern of New Zealand. And I think it's an island south of New Zealand called the Ketam Island. Why we want to bring this is that, you know, a same group of people occupied this and then people segregated into these islands. And because Ketam Islands were segregated uh, with sea, they did not come in contact with the Maoris for a considerable amount of time and a different society developed there called
1: Moriori. Jared Diamond uh, specifically writes, "Uh, what makes the Maori-Moriori collision grimly illuminating is that both groups had diverged from a common origin less than a millennium earlier. So if we think about it, for example, take us, uh, India and most of, you know, Southeast Asia. Like, if we go back, say, a thousand years ago, you can trace origins of people from here migrating to there or people from there coming here because of the temples that you find um, in Cambodia and uh, Myanmar, the Hindu population that exists in Indonesia and all that. So, it's, it's kind of like that.
0: The difference between, let's say, India and Southeast Asia and these two islands were that we developed a similar type of culture, right? Even though the you know, language is as diverse as it could be. But we, there's a lot of co- uh, commonality, you could say, di- between the culture and how people uh, live. But in these two islands, people developed completely in the opposite directions. Now, going by the story which was said in the first two chapters, which basically hooked me on, was that Maoris, because they were in a more tropical climate, th- it was one of the largest islands in the Polynesia group. And because it was one of the largest island, it was in a more tropical region. And they were uh, farmers, right? So they could grow crops easily. And there were more than 100,000 of them, right? And they could develop into dense populations. And dense population means that fighting for space and ultimately leading to wars, which basically let them develop more modern weapons. now modern weapons. I don't mean AK-47. But yeah, weapons in terms of more modern uh, stone age weapons or even... Because there was... Or also in the Polynesian area, New Zealand, the northern New Zealand island had the most amount of mineral deposits and metal deposits, right? So they also adopted that quickly. Yeah. Whereas in uh, the Moriori people, because they went into such a colder climate where their already existing crop knowledge or farming knowledge did not suffice them, right? So they went back into the hunter-gatherer period where... or hunter-gatherer mode where they started surviving... And they started finding out new ways to grow crops. They were mainly surviving on eating fish or aquatic lifestyle, which do not treat much tools. And because, the, again, the island was shop, uh, small, sorry, maximum 2,000 people could live there. So obviously, it was a more closed-knit society. And they knew that in order to survive, they could not have continuous wars. So they had developed a nice, simple hierarchy with one chief and a group of people living peacefully. And suddenly, one day, after numerous years, the Maoris in the quest for power came down to Ketham Islands and basically demolished them basically slaughtered them it was a mass genocide of 2000 people or so the reason was they had common heritage but because the Maoris were more technologically advanced in that sense they could do that and they never spared anybody
1: yeah they, they took up a lot of those people as slaves but by the next 2-3 years even uh, those slaves had died out because uh, the Maoris were just like this is just part of our custom and what happened happened
0: basically the human conscious has not evolved like greatly. We are, I think, we're <laughs> the same in the future uh, adaptations or even in the past. Like, this is thousand years ago. It's not that we, we were, like, crazy old. Uh, it's not 13,000 or 20,000 years ago. We were modern humans in all sense. But, well, when people
1: uh, see the lust for land. Oh, and this, the Maori Moriori thing happened in 1850. So, it was barely, what, like, uh, 150 years ago. It says the ship, the Maori ship sailed in 1853 to the Moriori island. To ketham islands, basically. Damn, yeah.
0: imagine that. Basically, whenever we talk about evolution, the people who don't believe in such—I don't know why there are people like that—but people who do, uh, they they have this very common argument, right? That I have not seen anything evolving in the past howsoever years that I have lived or my parents have lived. So, if evolution is true, why haven't I seen examples? I think, we perceive timelines as small ranges, right? We perceive that our mm. life is our hundred years is just more than enough, and we can experience everything. But the scale in which universe operates in, it's crazy, right? Evolution occurs over thousands and thousands of years, and you can't really you know, find it if you have you know written record or if you have fossils or things of those areas. But then again, you see a case in 1853, which is what, as you mentioned, right? Not even 200 years, and we have a living example of how two different societies developed in such different areas, and they didn't come in contact for what, 800 or so years, and then one island just attacked the other island and
1: up. The point of this whole story is basically Jared Diamond says that because these two people had a common ancestor and they had no other like uh, outside intervention, they grew completely in isolation. Like uh, The people, the Maori people and the Moriori people both grew in isolation. And because of certain environmental factors, uh, they grew into such different uh, kind of people. So he mentions, you know, and uh, uh, factors like climate, geological type, marine resources, area, terrain, fragmentation, and isolation. He mentions all these factors, and he says that these are what affected these people into uh, one becoming a warrior type kind of a peep civilization, and one reverting to a hunter-gatherer style of a living. Like we, I think, discussed most of these factors, right now. Being the climate one,
0: Maoris already had a tropical climate advantage, so they could grow crops easily, which is not favorable for Moriori. Similarly, with area, with area we discussed that, right? Yeah. Because it was larger, it affects here. Now, there were other examples with the other islands. There were the Samoan islands, there is the Tonga islands, is Hawaii, all of these islands. It depends on the marine resources that you capture, right? Now, coming to marine resources and fauna life, he mentions that these Polynesian islands bought three pets with them, big chicken and dog. These three were the only domesticated pets that they bought from, you know, whatever place that they came from when they settled in Polynesia. And after that, they basically exterminated all the indigenous animals and they could not capture uh, they could not make any other pets as domesticated. We discussed this a bit in the last episode. but yeah. And this was not long ago, as we were clearly dis- discussing, uh, people kill everything that comes in the way. Like, in this day and age, we don't see that happening that frequently. So, it becomes very tough for me at least personally, to digest that we were so brutal. Like, we would just demolish societies of nowhere and we would just kill all the animals. Come on, having no animals, no indigenous animals there.
1: Yeah, I mean, now it's uh, reduced drastically because we have modern, you know, food production uh, techniques and we have have as much food as we want, we have excess of food and that's now creating different problems. But now most of the hunting or uh, killing animals that happens is mostly just illegal poaching for the sake of, you know, I don't know, like uh, people trying to sell uh, skins, skins of animals. Like there's a big black market in China for certain animal powders, which are supposed to be like uh, medicinal, uh, they're supposed to have medicinal uses. I mean, I don't know, but yeah. But anyway, uh, back to the point, what Jared Diamond says is that um, these people, the Morioris, basically, who were isolated on the Kethams, because these Ketham Islands were so far away from any other islands, uh, they had no other prospects to colonize other uh, islands and expand their population. So, because of their limited population, because of their limited resources, uh, they had to learn how to get along, they had to learn how to... um, live a, a different lifestyle and one thing that really like i uh, audibly went like oof on that was that um to control over population they uh, would sometimes ca- castrate uh, male infants um, yeah and i was just like oof. but on the other hand it also kind of makes sense that kind of neutering the males of the population would make this civilization less more like because if you think about it <laughs> a lot of this oh, warrior thing is uh... this was thrown introduced yeah yeah, it it reminded me of that Abhishek Upamanyu joke, you know. It's like uh, if you have a cat and once the, you have to neuter the cat before it comes of age because one, if the cat learns about mating and sex, <laughs> <laughs> its life is It's just like oh, maybe there is something to that. Uh, you know, diving from that, this is one which was
0: actually quite a new revelation for me. Uh, did you notice that when uh, Jared Ahmed was discussing political complexity depending on how the population is growing and depending on the area, right? So. Whereas these Maori, uh, Maoris, because they had a, such a huge population, they developed a hierarchical
1: system right, where they were chief, chieftains and they were... Even in Hawaii and Tonga, wherever there was a big enough population density, they could uh, create a complex uh, societal, societal hierarchy. Because what used to happen is, because of an abundance of resources or an abundance of labor, you could have a, a certain group of people practice intensive farming and create surplus food for more than just themselves. You have food enough for the whole population, Just you can make that much food just by yourself. The rest of the population can focus on other jobs, like it can focus on building, building better roads, building houses and forts and uh, training warriors and expanding their kingdom. So because of this process of intensive farming, which was only possible on islands with plentiful resources on islands which had a uh, tropical climate, uh, these islands then tended to create a more expansionist kind of society whereas uh, Moriori type islands uh, remained as they were because their like biggest priority was just focusing on uh, having enough food for everyone and
0: you know with this it also links the political units where he mentions that it's not that every island is their own world obviously you can relate this to modern world right where you have uh, USA USA is this big chunk of land but there are islands which come under USA similar goes to you have the European islands which come under either one country or the other and you have India Nandaban, Nicobar, Rakshwati these are all islands which are not linked to India in any way or format, but they're still part of the Indian subcontinent or India basically, right? They come under the uh, Indian country. Similarly, you know, Hawaii had these islands, which they had usurped. I loved this fact in this entire chapter that ruler who united all the Hawaiian islands using weapons (laughs) of Europe. please let me say this, his name was Kamehameha.
1: I I was laughing for a full 2 minutes like I told you uh, you should record in 10 minutes but then it took 20 minutes because I spent 5 minutes just laughing at that to come to a bigger point with this this is just what happens with uh, pop culture because a lot of um, you know uh, (laughs) a lot of pop culture tends to shamelessly appropriate um, ideas or like names from other cultures and they tend to become the norm instead of like being the derivative and because of that when now that i read something like king Kamehameha, i end up laughing people now know uh, nemo as the fish rather than what it was named after which was like the uh, submarine captain from 20,000 leagues under the sea. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I hate it.
0: I know. We, we discussed this, I think, in one of the episodes where we were discussing Raya in
1: the last second. Yeah. I think
0: that episode might have already come out, guys. Right? So yeah. you already know Pushkar's views uh, on those areas. But yeah, similarly, one more fact which I loved uh, in this episode where that a 7,000 group of people. In Easter Islands, when there was no modern technology, they developed those huge monuments, right, which are considered as one of the wonders of the wonders of the world. The head, the head, the thirty-ton statues. It is, uh, it is said, it is like the next biggest thing after pyramids.
1: Because those ma- monuments, as impressive as they are, don't really mean anything for the society itself. You know? I mean, it's like it's a good, uh, it's a good. Uh, Motivational thing to look at that look at this, we created this. But if you look at the story behind it, it's basically just uh, one of the chiefs uh, forcing his lay- people, forcing the laborers to uh, work around the clock to create this thing which is not going to benefit them in any sort of personal way. But that is what we don't know what was the
0: cultural reason behind them developing such thing. Maybe we are not right enough to uh, understand that yet. But there are reasons that how can people even this day and age not build build such structures and people in that age you know build them without any modern tools and then you know even in B phase I think or in the last chapter when we were discussing right that the first sailboat was discovered what some few thousand years ago but humans crossed seas 50 miles I understand not that they had some kind of sailboat to hop from one island to the other right now when I think of these when I think of pyramids when I think of these uh, heads or when I think of such feats that human beings undertook I wonder like is it evolution or is it devolution like have we become meek and not capable of, it's just that Maybe we are evolving in terms of understanding more about the universe and understanding more tech world and, you know, our brain capacity. But from a physical capacity, we are diminishing in those areas.
1: I mean, it might be. But when you talk about this, what the point I come to is like, what I wanted to mention was, when you look at these two societies, the Maoris and the Morioris, you look at one tribe, you know, developing, developing, developing and becoming this very vicious civilization of warriors who enslaved the whole people and killed them, who were more or less... In a way, they're, they're brothers, right? Because they they had a dominance. Correct. Whereas the Moriori people were living peacefully, they were chilling on this island, they had a pretty nice life. What it uh, comes down to for me is that, were we as a civilization better when we were living a more simpler way of life. Were we happier, were we more peaceful? It What it also comes down to is like, I personally wouldn't like to go back to that kind of simple living, you know, hunter-gatherer living, because I'm so used to the luxuries of the modern world, right? But that's the thing, like, that's, that's what it comes down to, because like, I enjoy Wi-Fi thoroughly, but the development of Wi-Fi, uh, if I look at it, it's pretty messy, right? Because um, all this new technology, a lot of it is more or less a byproduct of things that were developed as means of destruction or things that were developed out of intensive slavery. For example like if you look at the world wars like all these weapons all this technology that was developed in World War one and World War two eventually after the war uh, was more or less it's the technology's byproducts turned into like uh, advancements for cars advancements for engines you know hydraulics this and that all these things all these things that you have uh, they came out of weapons. Or like rocket technology, for example, they were initially used as weapons and then they, you know, came to be used in uh, the space race. And again, from the space race, you know, you had people pouring money into basically going to the moon, which is is inherently a very pointless thing. But because of that whole space race, we discovered so much other technology that came to be uh, used for different purposes in our daily lives. For example, like dehydrated food or like, I don't know what else, something like that. So it's like a thing of like, would we be happier? Would we be more peaceful? Would we have like a cleaner conscience if we lived a more simpler life? But at the same time, I also love the uh, luxuries of the modern life. And I have to acknowledge that these things came out of a very messy and a very uh, violent past. So you have to wonder like where human morality kind of... uh, really uh, starts and stops. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, One point I was like curious about, Mm -hmm. maybe you can uh, explain something, is like they keep mentioning that in the islands that were high with resources, they obviously use like jade and whatever for their tools, right, the Maori people. But it also mentions that they used to use these things for jewellery. And I'm like, why is jewelry one of the most subsisting uh things across history like jewelry inherently doesn't have a point right so were we as humans even back then back then just as Uh, materialistic that we would go like oh look at shiny object on this person this means that person is more important like what is this weird thing in our brain actually no I'll tell you this was also answered in in a slight way uh,
0: in this chapter itself in Maori group uh, ironically like this is my theory obviously I have no idea we might get to know more about it in the following chapters or in a separate book altogether but according to my theory as population grows and when people are away from just the only need for producing food they're doing different things there is a need for distinguishing people and there is a need for developing hierarchy as we just saw right that a political hierarchy is developed whenever there is a large group of people and when that is developed you need to distinguish between the kings and the commoners it, it happened in Hawaii it happened in this area even in Maori where there's a small group of people there was a chieftain right uh, there was a chief he wore like that feather hat and whatnot. The exactly.
1: exactly
0: Yeah, which is typical of those islands so even in that time in order to I think these jewellery act as a distinction feature and uh, you know we know that it is not uh, let's say limited to gender it initially both men and women wore huge amounts of jewelry. Nowadays, yeah. things probably diverted more towards one side or the other. But in the earlier days, there was no such distinction of those kind. And I think the major reason of developing jewelry, jewelry, or even craftsmanship, right, for that matter, is to make, to just show that I am superior to you. I can afford this or I can wear this, not you. It's, I think, that.
1: It just baffles me that the human brain is so simplistic sometimes that it's like, who shiny thing. <laughs> <laughs> a very uh, goldfish kind of an idea. Uh,
0: I think we basically covered most of what the book was. I just want to close off with one final thing which uh, he mentioned towards the end of the book where like though we discussed how you know these two islands developed in such vast differences even being in such close proximity to each other in modern sense and just you know, thousand years ago and one society invading the other uh, when 50 years ago, we still have to understand that they were so far behind the modern culture which was already developing in Eurasia. Eurasians yeah. had already jumped into the Iron Age and they had started utilizing iron and even South America had done that when 13,000 years ago, right? There was full-fledged civilizations there. And whereas the Polynesian Islands developed that a couple of thousand years ago.
1: Yeah, but uh, I mean that again you can uh, attribute to when they co- colonized these islands and the resources they had and all these all these things you know because uh, by the time the Polynesia was uh, colonized. Eurasia was already had already you know been colonized for two thousand or three thousand years, and they had been in full force. You know, um, they had been developing like that, um, and Eurasia had a lot more resources, obviously. And I mean, I guess we'll uh, find out more uh, once we start reading into it.
0: It is the inherent question. We are basically from the very first chapter we're trying to answer that why did the people of Eurasia or even South America or all these areas develop faster than you know the, our Australian counterparts? So. I think this is just one example of where we'll see that how nature and nature is just not one word, you know, we just saw there were seven or eight factors which, you know, played roles in which could basically determine whether the society will succeed or not. So moving on, we'll see other reasons of why or what are the other reasons how societies develop. Yeah, that basically
1: brings to the end of this chapter. It was a good uh, microcosm exp- like idea for us to grasp just so that we can get the concept of how we're going to go about looking at the history of different continents or different civilizations in the book. And yeah, I'm looking forward to most of it. And since you've conscripted me for uh, hard labor for the next two days, uh, <laughs> who knows how many episodes we're going to do. I think I'm going to relate a lot more to the people uh, that come up in the following chapters. <laughs> Till then, guys, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, we'll try to keep this episode
0: short and sweet so that you know you can grasp the entire concept and not spend too much time. And If you guys have any suggestions, do let me know. I don't know, by the time this will be released, all the episodes will be recorded. So who knows, your suggestions might not be included. But yeah, you never give suggestions anyway. So who cares? Bye-bye.
1: <laughs> Bye, guys. See you in the next episode.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. Follow us on social media and do let us know if you want to be part of the next episode. Till then, live long and prosper!